Hey there, listeners. Kat here from the Talking Sense podcast with a special treat for you. This November, SP socialists were fortunate enough to welcome SP MSP Bill Kidd of Glasgow Annie's Land to give a talk on nuclear nonproliferation and disarmament in Scotland and throughout the world. Bill is a staunch supporter of anti nuclear power and weapons policies and is co president of Parliamentarians for Nuclear Nonproliferation and Disarmament which is an international organization comprising 70 parliaments and over 800 members from around the world who engage in working towards nuclear non-proliferation and nuclear disarmament issues. Bill has given talks on this at the UN and has more expertise on this than probably anybody else elected in Scotland. So without further ado, Ungagged is happy to present Bill Kidd on nuclear disarmament. It's lovely to see everybody here, and uh, there are a number of people here in the room with us as well, which makes me feel less lonely. Um, so <laughs> I have to say, earlier this year, I was honoured to attend two United Nations conferences on nuclear disarmament. In June, I attended the first meeting of the states' parties of the, on the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. I'd been at the original um, UN conference in 2017 when uh, this was was adopted by 122 countries uh, at the UN um, as an initial stage for moving this on uh, to become, uh, as it has been, uh, a sort of a United Nations law now. It's legislation within the United Nations. Um, so um, I attended this first meeting of the states' parties uh, to the Treaty on Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons in uh, Vienna at the United Nations. And this was a highly successful conference where um, many, many states joined in opposition against nuclear weapons. Um, they agreed an action plan covering topics such as victim assistance and environmental mediation. Um, this is necessary, of course, because of the, the damage that's been done to so many people um, and environments around the world with uh, nuclear testing, etc., that has gone on for such a long time. Um, and then in August, I attended the 10th review conference of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, and this is the treaty that recognises five countries as nuclear weapon states, uh, Russia, China, the UK, the US and France. And uh, they as well have all signed the treaty however recent review conferences in this 50 odd year old treaty which is still not actually achieved uh, the rationale for which it was set up um, but they all signed the treaty um, however recent review conferences which take place every five years have become increasingly difficult to actually come up with a with something where everyone or at least the vast majority um, can stand together well, as co-president of PNND, I was honoured to deliver a statement at the UN in New York and urged delegates that aggression such as the Russian invasion of Ukraine um, should be addressed by legal and political actions and diplomacy combined with self-defence rather than by increasing the nuclear ante. Um, I also highlighted um, PNND, that's the Parliamentarians for Nuclear Non-Proliferation and Disarmament, calls on the NPT state parties to, one, phase out nuclear weapons, starting with the first no, with no first use policies, two, shift nuclear weapons spending 
onto public investments such as towards peace and climate stabilisation, and three, commit to the global elimination of nuclear weapons um, very much no later than 2045. That is, that's, a, that's a backstop. We're looking for much sooner than that, but we have to provide something that would actually get enough of the state's parties at the UN to actually at least initially sign up. So that's the, that was the initial uh, circumstance. Now, I was speaking um, just a few weeks ago um, on, uh, on a hybrid call to the UN Undersecretary um, for Defence and Disarmament, um, and that's Her Excellency Izuma um, from Japan. And something that I suggested at the time um, was that maybe um, if she could take it back to the UN um, as a suggestion that the UN could, because both Russia and Ukraine are obviously um, part party to the United Nations, um, that there should be a Blue Helmets force um, should actually be set up to cover and defend um, the nuclear power stations um, within Ukraine. Um, the reason I, I suggested this was because, of course, um, when there's a war situation going on and you have nuclear power stations, then you really do have um, potential for um, very, very serious um, incident um, should these be damaged or attacked um, and then damaged uh, by either side. Now, the likelihood is, of I would have thought it seems unlikely that these being on Ukraine territory that um, Ukraine's liable to attack them, um, even if it were in areas where the Russians were actually um, uh, the dominant force. Um, but whoever um, was, in, was up for this, it would have to be both of them. Um, both sides would have to agree to this. And um, that would actually ensure then that there wasn't a nuclear incident would take place during this um, this conflict. Um, also, um, I wanted to emphasise that we're coming into winter. Um, the winters in Ukraine are uh, severe and really the, the, the civilian populations are going to be in very difficult circumstances um, no matter what. They, they already are, of course, if they're in one of the areas which is which has been um, which has been fought over, but um, their need for electricity for power um, will grow over this period, and I wanted to make sure that the United Nations could defend these uh, these stations in order that there would be a continuation of um, of electricity supply etc for uh, for people. Now. Um, her Excellency took this suggestion away. Um, I haven't heard or seen any more about it since then, but these things don't happen overnight, obviously. Um, so I'm still very hopeful that that might be something that could come forward. And once you do have um, the Blue Helmets and the UN force established in a country, then that really will help a very great deal, as far as, um, as, far as I could make out. That would help a very great deal in terms of moving things on towards more diplomacy being used because you have to have diplomacy in order for that to happen in the first place. So that was that was something that I was um, I still am looking forward to. Um, 
So other than uh, than the UN um, at the moment, I think it's important uh, that we also consider um, that ahead of that NPT review conference in August, the UK government made a joint statement with France and America, and uh, in that they called on Russia to stop the war of aggression against Ukraine and stop the use of escalatory nuclear rhetoric. Um, they also emphasise the need for furthering international peace and security. And these are statements that most people would agree with, including the Scottish Government. However, there were notable omissions in the statement um, from these three nuclear-armed NATO states. They do not articulate disarmament as a means of advancing international peace and security. Rather, they repeated deterrence rhetoric, i.e. that because more multiple countries have nuclear weapons, no one would dare use them out of fear of a retaliatory strike. In the statement, France, the UK and the US said that whilst nuclear weapons exist, they continue to perform the role of deterrence. Well, it doesn't look much like deterrence when you see what's taking place um, in Ukraine. Um, so, but if we accepted the premise of deterrence, it inevitably undermines any motivation for nuclear disarmament. So although these three countries have signed treaties committing them to nuclear disarmament, including the Non-Proliferation Treaty, they are perpetrating ideas which undermine their nuclear disarmament commitments. So it's my position that the war in Ukraine illustrates that nuclear weapons do not make the world a safer place in any way whatsoever. They make the world a more dangerous place, and I think that is pretty bloody obvious, actually. The nuclear deterrence policies in the West do not prevent war from occurring in Europe at the hands of an expansionist and nuclear-armed um, uh, Putin, basically. I'm not going to say Russia in this instance, because, to be quite honest, um, I don't want to be building up uh, any sort of... Uh, anti-Russian uh, uh, ideas. Um, Anti-Putin is, uh, is my stance, actually, and I think that's something we should always remember when we're talking about these things. So, um, if we think about the SNP, we're uh, now in our fourth administration um, of the Scottish Government, and we remain firmly committed to nuclear disarmament. There's been no movement on that against that. There's no big argument that it's a waste of time or whatever. In an interview with the BBC in June, the First Minister reiterated her commitment uh, to sign the 2017 Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, that's the Ban Treaty, when we achieve Scottish independence. I mentioned earlier I attended um, the uh, TPNW initial conference at the UN and I presented a letter from the First Minister to the President of the Conference, which actually stated the Scottish Government's position that nuclear weapons are unacceptable and that as an independent country and member of the United Nations, we would be a signatory to that uh, treaty. Um, obviously, the UK has no... Um, no desire nor inclination to do so. Um, so there's a significant and unreconcilable difference uh, between the UK and Scottish Government approaches to international security. And the Scottish Government's position is reflected by the Scottish Parliament and the majority of MSPs across the Scottish Parliament signed the ICANN Parliamentarians Pledge in 2017 and again last year, 2021, following our most recent election to ratify the Ban Treaty when it is in our hands to do so. 
It's a consistent position of the majority of Scottish legislators that nuclear weapons are morally abhorrent and indiscriminate in nature. I call them weapons of mass murder rather than weapons of mass destruction because they have one intention and one intention only, and that's to kill as many people as possible. And that was what happened, as we all know, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, which were two civilian um, cities and um, which were um, which were bombed um, in order, we're, we're told, um, that it would force the Japanese uh, earlier uh, into um, into you know uh, giving up and and um, and the truth though is that. Um, Stalin uh, was making moves towards incorporating Japan from the north, actually, at the end of the Second World War, and that was his direction of movement. And rather than, uh, they allowed him to actually do a great deal of that within Europe, but they weren't going to drop uh, nuclear weapons on white people. Um, so they dropped them on uh, the people of Japan in order to deter um, Stalin from a from trying to take over Japan at the end of the Second World War. Um, that's that was their approach, and that's what they did. Um, now, I think it's important um, that we should remember that Scotland hosts the only nuclear weapons system, Trident, at Faslane and Coolport. It's the only UK um, operational base, um, and their intention there is um, to keep those weapons as far away from Westminster as they possibly can. Um, although, you know, uh, up to a point, retain the control over them because obviously it is only up to a point because America has the ultimate control when it really comes down to um, to maintaining um, Trident. Um, we just pay for it. Uh, the Scottish Parliament <coughs> has twice voted overwhelmingly for the non-renewal of Trident. That was in 2007, uh, with 71 votes to 16. And again in 2015, 96 votes in favour and 17 against. Uh, however, power to decide this matter ultimately lies in the hands of Westminster. And the House of Commons voted in 2016 to renew Trident by 472 votes to 117 and only one Scottish MP, David Mundell, out of the 59 Scottish MPs at the time, voted in favour of Trident renewal. All SNP, Labour, Lib Dem and Independent MPs voted against Trident renewal. It's a consistent position which we have and it's something which I think we've got to be proud of and something that we really, really have to continue um, to push in, in uh, the interests of the Scottish people. So Trident is of significant interest to Scottish parliamentarians as this weapon system is based at Coolport Faz Lane, which is located just 30 miles from half of Scotland's population. It's estimated that Scotland's share of the cost of Trident renewal will be around £14 billion. However, as we know, costs of nuclear modernisation can rapidly increase beyond these early projections. And it's worth highlighting that the vote to renew the UK's nuclear weapon system came uh, following the UK government's decision to cut welfare spending in Scotland by £12 billion. CND, Scottish CND, has estimated that the renewal of Trident will cost the UK £205 billion in total. And the UK has begun the process of renewing the submarine fleets. <coughs> pardon me, however, 
Delays mean that the first submarines will not be completed now until the 2030s, at least six years after the initial expected date of commencement of service, should we still unfortunately be in a position where the British state continues to exist, which I don't think we will, but there we go. We have to be prepared for every eventuality. Um, so in a significant departure from an earlier pledge, the United Kingdom announced in March 2021 that it will raise the ceiling on its nuclear warhead stockpile by more than 40%, once again breaking the signatory um, NPT. They signed up to that. They signed up to the NPT and they are supposed to have been reducing over the past 50 years the size of their arsenal. And now they announced a 40% rise above the previous target. Um, and they're no longer publishing information about the number of warheads it maintains in an operational status um, because they're embarrassed about it. Um, they want to keep that a secret, um, sure, but I mean, the other countries um, who they might consider to be um, potential enemies, they know what's, what's there. So how, why are they embarrassed about it? It's because they're telling lies to the people again. Anyway, it's raised a significant concern about the UK's commitment to Article 6 of the NPT to pursue negotiations in good faith on effective measures relating to cessation of the nuclear arms race at an early date and to nuclear disarmament. That was in 1970. Um, are we there? I don't think so. So I don't trust these people. Um, all I want to do is make sure that Scotland becomes an independent state. We can bring an end to these uh, these horrible nuclear weapons in Scotland, but by doing so, we will also commit um, a future Westminster government to actually having to disarm from nuclear weapons as well, because I don't know if you've read it, but you really should if you haven't. <clears throat> um, there was a brilliant Scottish CND um, document called Nowhere to Go, written by a good friend, John Ainsley, who sadly died five years ago. Um, but it's very, very current in terms of its, in terms of its analysis of the circumstances uh, of where nuclear weapons could be stationed within the UK if it wasn't at Fasley and Coolport. There isn't anywhere else they could go. And if that's the case, then the UK would have to cease to be a nuclear weapons uh, uh, body as well, or they are UK. The fact is that we um, here in Scotland can actually make that come about, uh, but we have to achieve independence first. And I think that's a good place to, to hold off now. Thank you.